stoked this is episode 20 episode 20 Woo! hello and welcome horror hounds to our most exciting episode of cadaver dogs to date because it's episode 20 that's 20 times you guys have been listening to us and the three of us friends have been talking about horror movies our favorite thing ever blood guts bones entrails digging up dead bodies all that stuff and today surprise surprise we're going multicultural my favorite genre i'm rob basercha i'm devin shepherd and i'm david b jacobs and we are Cadaver Dogs. Hell yeah. I, seriously, guys. I am so excited. <laughs> I can't believe we've been doing this for 20 episodes. That's insane to me. It's insane. And in like April, I think, it'll. we've been doing it for a year. Though I think we've been recording for May is when we released our first episodes. But yeah, we've been recording wow. since I think last February. Oh, wow. Wow, guys. Because we, we remember we discussed uh, trying to drop Irish folklore in time for St. Patrick's Day. And then we, we failed. Yeah. So I'm yeah. wondering, what, what did you guys get me as an anniversary gift? Um, I, I got you You'll an find arm. out. <laughs> You'll find yeah. out the next time I see you in person. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you'll get me like a voice acting coach or something. No, we actually got you something. Oh, yeah. No, we actually have you. Yeah, we have a gift for you. <laughs> no, you guys didn't. Yeah. Stop. Next time I see you, uh, remind me because I'm terrible and we'll probably forget about it because okay. I'm really, really bad at giving gifts. I'm going to get David some posters for his mom's house now, since I got them for his room. <laughs> and don't get me anything for my mom's house. I don't want to get anything for my mom's house. I want oh, to be at my mom's house. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm going to get I'm, I'm only get here right now of... because my roommate has COVID. And that's why I might sound more echoey than usual. I hope I don't, but I might. And might. I apologize. I, he sounds okay to me, but, you know, it's just the sweet sound of David B. Jacobs' voice is just ringing through my body every time i hear it it just gives me goosebumps <laughs> oh boy yeah. i i feel like a third wheel right now this is odd so really stupid fun fact before we get started i found out goosebumps are vestigial from when we used to have hairier bodies and it's to raise the hair on your body to make you look bigger that's what goosebumps do isn't that weird hmm. fucking weird yeah so if you're particularly hairy and you're naked if you get goosebumps you look a little bigger so it's meant to scare back yeah, yeah, it's a it's a panic response, a defense a defensive maneuver for hairy Everything mammals. Everything we do is defensive. We're we're weaklings as human beings. No, we're strong because we have so many defensive maneuvers. Yeah, we actually have a lack of defenses compared to other animals like turtles. I think they have better defense like than we do. Yeah, they have a whole <laughs> shell. It's like it's like a walking fortress. <laughs> turtle, turtle, turtle. Speaking of turtles. <laughs> Wait, where are we going with this? Where's that going? <laughs> oh, yeah. So before we get started, please follow us on at Cadaver Dogs Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also email us as at Cadaver Dogs Podcast at gmail.com to let us know which films you want us to cover next time or if there's anything you hate about what we talked about or if you just want to get our numbers because, sorry, most of us are taken on this podcast. I'm not. <laughs> David's still single y'all <laughs> he will be by the time you guys message him rest assured also new thing that's really exciting is rate us five stars 
on uh, Spotify. Not for bone reviews, although you might have a bone for us. Five stars on Spotify. Okay? Five stars, four bones. Yeah. So all this fun stuff aside, I know you guys are so excited to get started with the podcast this week. So starting us off is David B. Jacobs. Paul Marsh and his girlfriend Barbara never expected for their comfortable cruise to be disrupted by a monstrous storm. As their friends are injured, they make it out on a life raft, swearing to return with help from the nearby village, an obscure town known as Mboka. But perhaps they would have been better off facing their watery doom. Mboka is a strange place. As Paul returns to the cruise, finding his friends missing and presumed dead, Barbara on land is attacked by the locals. That night, Paul too is met with the same aggression. Escaping his siege hotel room through a window, Paul runs through the town, noticing that the villagers limp about with slimy deformities. He soon encounters an old man, Ezekiel, who explains the situation. Decades ago, when Ezekiel was still a child, a stranger came to Mboka. This man, Capitan Kambaro, promised their people wealth, bars of gold and all the fish you can eat. They only abandoned their Christian god in favor of a new one, Dagon. Of course, this came with a small price, just an occasional sacrifice as Dagon would rape the women, creating generations of fish people, each one more hideous and less human than the last. Now they're ruled by Priestess Ushia, basically an evil mermaid, who plans to make Paul her immortal husband. After all, it Seems those strange dreams Paul had been suffering from were a genuine omen, for he himself is secretly descended from Cambaro. And try as he might to save Barbara from becoming Dagon's next sacrifice, he is destined to fail and spend the rest of eternity swimming through the oceans alongside his sister bride, Ew. Directed by Stuart Gordon, this is H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. Although it's actually an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's Shadow of Innsmouth. Uh, not sure why they changed the title. <laughs> yeah, actually, okay. That was the part that I wanted to start at. So I'm not familiar with H.P. Lovecraft's like written work. Like I know of his ideology and the following that he has and all those random facts that everyone kind of knows about Lovecraft. But have you guys read either of the stories of The Shadow Over Innsmouth or Dagon? Have Have you read, I've read them? Dagon. Yeah, I've read both of them. Uh, it's been a long time, but I think at one point or another, I've read all of Lovecraft's work. Holy so, crap. So the Actually, Shadow... that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I have all the books if you guys ever want to borrow them. They're I have all a big, short beautiful stories. hardcover. Oh, yeah. Ooh. You should check it out. There's a lot of good short stories in there. Pikmin's model is particularly good. I've read a few. I've read Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, The Shadow mm. Over Innsmouth is like a short novella. So it's a short book. Um, Dagon's only about six or seven pages. They kind of used it because I think the overarching deity in The Shadow Over Innsmouth is Dagon. So okay. that's is the god. Is it explicitly or just uh, something similar? I don't remember, but I think it is explicit. But are any of the characters or plot points from those or is this a completely unique story in like the world of lovecraft no it's it follows the story the shadow over Innsmouth pretty closely the movie okay. um it has a very different feel but there is a guy who's a descendant from these uh deep ones who are fish people and he ends mm -hmm. up stuck in this town and he basically has to run from them and he hides it's the same plot as the movie 
Although in the book, a submarine goes and shoots a torpedo at the uh, underwater cavern they have and fucks them up at the end. And I think the, the supporting cast is original, right? Uh, Ezekiel is taken. The name's changed, but that character is from the story. Yeah, a lot of it's changed because Innsmouth was also in, was it in New England in, in America? I don't remember. I think it wasn't so. Spain. Probably. It wasn't Every, Spain. Everything's New England with Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. It's all about all the uh, immigrants coming over and infecting us with old world gods and whatnot. And, you know, just Lovecraft being afraid of immigrants type thing. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Wait, so did you call the twist then? Because I didn't know the twist was coming. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, I, I saw the movie long time ago before I'd read the book. So I know I didn't see it coming at all at the end when he gets lit on fire and uh, it turns out that he's a descendant and he has gills, which is pretty cool. This movie has a lot of body horror in it. A lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of fins. It's really kind of gross. I, I like the tentacle guy who puts his head in the toilet and it seems like everyone's <laughs> all barnacly and, and just covered in like pus and weird teeth and stuff. And, and they're not fully formed. There's a big price to pay for this power you get from dagon yeah the creature design is very cool in this movie i especially like the addition of the sound design of the creatures when we first mm. see paul going through the city there's all this like slimy gross like cracking and like whispers and it's just like the sound design of this other being that they really put throughout the film and i thought they did such a good job at that make it seem very otherworldly yeah i the sound design just feels slimy to me Everything's just so, like, gritty and gross. It doesn't really make sense that there's this, like, hidden Spanish town that no one's touched in, like, the 2000s. But it's cool. It reminds me kind of like Resident Evil 4. It reminded me so much of Resident Evil 4. I, I was like, wait, these are, they sound exactly the same. The language sounds exactly the same. And, it, like, they're both in Spain. Yeah, and it's about as historically accurate in both instances, right? Yeah. It was so weird. Okay, you mentioned something about the town not like having been touched in a thousand years or something. I, I was so confused, and I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are about this. So the the lore, or not the lore, but the actual history, is that the town used to be Christian. They worshipped uh, Jesus and, and that god and everything. Um, and then they found a new religion with Dagon because uh, the town w was not getting enough fish. They were poor mm -hmm. and they started pulling gold out of the ocean when they started worshiping Dagon. But now the town is like dilapidated. Obviously there is no wealth there. Everything's run down. Doesn't really seem like there's any riches. And yet mm -hmm. originally the whole reason why they went to Dagon was to like become a wealthier city. Mm. But, but that's wrong. They're super wealthy. There's, there's one point where, uh, Paul actually offers them, I think he offers them like a million dollars or something if they let him go because he's filthy rich too. And they're like, we have th a thousand times that in gold. Right, but they <laughs> yeah. don't use it for anything. It, it's just, it's it's curious that they wanted this gold in the first place and yet they seemingly just hoard it or, I mean, because the town just doesn't use it. Yeah. Well, I think they do. You're, you're leaving off assumptions that they still want the same things that we do but they're not fully human anymore they don't care That's about plumbing saying. yeah they don't care about that hotel they don't need it they live in they can live in the water hmm. so there are two points that i i get from what you're saying uh, first i want to say that this reminds me of as the same plot as kind of the wicker man 
how like the harvest is is dwindling oh. so they have to like shift from the christian gods and go to the old gods it's just rather mm-hmm. than like paganism we're going to the lovecraftian mythos of like cosmicism you know these like old world entities that are much older than even primates our significance is just our life is very short and humanity is kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things and second it's uh to devin's credit i i do think she's right that the town has become decrepit and it's dilapidated and all the things they initially wanted like you were saying david are no longer the goal right originally they wanted fish and wealth but now they get tons of fish and they have all the wealth that they could possibly spend in a hundred lifetimes but they don't need it for anything because they're losing their humanity to, to draw back from the original story the shadow over Innsmouth, the uh, locals are, are spoken of as doing nothing all day just kind of sitting idly and getting drunk they're just kind of waiting for their the last remnants of humanity to pass mm. and uh right well, I, I do have to correct one thing it, it's not like a thousand years this has been going on it's more like 40 or 50 not yeah. even because because yeah, ezekiel's like yeah. ezekiel's like 50 years old maybe 60 and like he was a little boy when they started doing this stuff so it's only been a few decades less than a century right right for sure and to clarify that's all i was wondering i was just wondering what your read was on that i wasn't giving my own opinion there so what <laughs> no. is your opinion there no i, I well, agree it- i agree with you Devin. I, I think you were spot on when you said like why is it so dilapidated if they wanted all this wealth it's because they tr- they traded something a, a lot more important than the religion when they started uh communicating with the elder gods yeah, and I think that that what my reading of it was as well is just that gold was less important and they have it now and it, it's just lost any sort of importance, but that, you know, mm-hmm. essentially their religion is is everything to them and that's all that matters and the only thing that they keep on living for. Materialism definitely comes up a lot in this film, though, I think especially because Paul and his wife, Barbara, are wealthy. I mean, in the very first scene, um, mm-hmm. we see them discussing how they can stay wealthy how they want to be wealthier and barbara keeps you know trying to pull paul away from his computer where he's looking at stocks and she's like live the life like be a part of the world don't just be in this computer program don't just look like worry about Mm. material possessions Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i guess that also like directly ties into everything in the village as well because that's a similar thing that she's saying that the the wealth isn't as important as the humanity right and then uh, they actually, they lose both. He ends up losing all the wealth and all humanity. He just becomes a disciple of Dagon, which in the grand scheme of things, like the fish people are pretty much just the sheep of Dagon. You know, he feeds on them. He sleeps <laughs> with them. Uh, they're just there to serve him and make him more powerful. By the way, the Dagon effects, pretty insane. Oh, the special effects. Oh, oh my God. I thought it was some sort of like theory or like religion. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, no. No, the Dagon effect. Oh my God. That thing when it jumped out at the at the end and ripped her arms off. That oh my was God. So, that was such a cool part, but it was gross. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, you compared it to the Wicker Man and I actually really like that comparison. If I recall correctly in the Wicker Man, uh, he's kind of a bit of a missionary and uh, you're you're not necessarily supposed to like the main guy in that movie. That it kind of plays his Christian ideologies against the people's pagan ideologies and makes you question whether or not we're right to judge. I'm not sure if that if this movie has that same nuance. How do you guys 
feel about the way it depicts their paganism versus Christianity. Mm. Uh, well, I, I really don't think it's asking those same types of questions directly, whereas, uh, you know, that's like the core theme of The Wicker Man and uh, the remake. You know, Lovecraft is really this kind of like grandiose fictional universe about these elder gods and how worship is kind of like this force of like fuel for them mm. and how we're just kind of insignificant. So probably what it's saying is that you shouldn't be spending your time worshiping anything. I mean, if you really mm. want to look oh, at it really? through that that lens. I don't, I don't know if it's specific enough to say that, but I think if you are going to really like compare the Dagon religion against Christianity, then that's what the film would say about either is that worship doesn't do much. And if it did, it'd be scary. You, you don't want to have magic forces affecting your life because they're unpredictable and they're overpowered. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm, I don't know if I read it with that lens, but I, I could see that being a reading of the film. There was a moment in the film where is where Ezekiel and Paul and Barbara are tied up and they're about to murder Ezekiel and they start saying um, some religious passage that I don't know because I was not raised religious. And it I was like stuck in this moment of like, but we've seen, I'm pretty sure at that point we've seen Dagon already or like know of his existence. Mm -hmm. And yet they're still praying to another god. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like, did they not just prove you wrong that that god doesn't exist or that this god does and yet you're still worshiping this god with you're just saying words at this point but there's like a yeah. physical god underneath you that's a good point because i actually kind of disagree with rob's perspective here i'm not sure this i, I mean i know hp lovecraft was an atheist but i don't know how this movie takes an atheist stance and I think you could almost read it as though Dagon's not really a god, that he is beneath the one true god. And I, I actually think this movie heavily, heavily says that you should embrace Christianity specifically. And that the problem is not worship in general, but specifically the pagan worship. But if that were the case, wouldn't we see Paul be saved? No, because he's a descendant of them. Okay, so, I, I mean, I think that's interesting. And it is a Spanish movie, and, and Spain is more religious than hmm. the United States, probably, as far as, like, Christianity is concerned. Although the director is... Stuart Gordon's American, right? Yes. Uh, yes. He's an American director. He's a guy who did Reanimator and whatnot. But he this was a Spanish production, though, uh, yeah. even though they chose to film it in English. Yeah, it was a very American film. I think it crosses the cultures between America and Spain a lot. Mm. Uh, but I'm also not familiar enough with Spanish culture to be able to comment more heavily on how much it draws from that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think I disagree with you, Dave, but it can support your point. And uh, counter to Devin's point, I, I think the Christians in the movie would be like, well, Dagon's a demon. You guys should stop yeah. worshiping a demon because demons have power. Mm. Go ask like the Warrens. Yeah, it's as though the metaphor is that they are abandoning their love of God and Christ for a love of a demon. I mean, they they mm -hmm. talk about it. They refer to town as, I wrote down, Pablo de Cristo, I think is what he calls it. He says the house of Christ. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what it used to be. That's what it's supposed to be. He looks at that as like the reverence before they were corrupted. 
And then even the original sin, the first sign that this was going wrong, was when Kambaro uh, kills the priest who used to uh, be in charge of the town. So it isn't so much as worship is what's leading them astray, it's that they are overtaking their Christian faith, or Catholic faith. I think it's Catholic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think going back to the point about the gold is like, okay, you're worshiping what we're not going to say as like a demon or a devil in this theory. You're worshiping them in order to like, basically for sinful and selfish reasons to get gold, to get wealth, um, and thus forgetting about the pious life of humanity and religion. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but then although they kind of shed all this wealth by doing so, like they're given gold, but they only use it as a device to worship Dagon. They don't spend right. it. And they shed they shed their humanity. So it's somewhat ironic, I guess, suppose. Which is kind of similar to the story of the golden calf, I suppose, that they build a an idol out of gold in that story of the golden calf, uh, which is from the Bible when a bunch of the Hebrews uh, hmm. essentially betray God and create a false idol, and then Moses gets really mad at them. Yeah. And then uh, that's, oh, why they're, okay. that's why they're not allowed to return the, the original people who leave Egypt uh, never get to return to Israel. Um, their punishment is that only their is, is that they won't get to return to Israel until it's more generations down the line. Everyone who worshipped the golden calf is dead. Mm. That's why they wandered the desert for 40 years. Wow. Mm. Interesting. And it's I guess it's kind of similar to like the giant golden Buddhist statues in like Thailand or whatnot. Yeah. Which is so funny. It's like the monks who have nothing in it, but they uh, spend all this, use all this gold as like a worshiping device to Buddha. I think I, I also interpreted it this way because I see it as kind of as though Christianity is the Western theme in the movie. And I feel like there is a heavy, heavy thematic play between the Western ideologies versus uh, strangers, foreigners people from other lands and how do you guys feel about that but in this case people from other lands are paul and barbara mm. but they're Which is they're interesting they're impregnated by dagon and their offspring are these uh, mutants right so that kind of plays into uh, a lot of the lovecraftian xenophobia how yeah. um, he, he doesn't believe in the mixing of the races so much Mm. and yeah, there's this... a lot of writings of his about that and there's a lot of bad words in some of his stories <laughs> and you know a lot of it's of the time but we should still be critical of the writing definitely definitely yes definitely. very much so <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i thought it was really interesting that i mean once we found out later that paul is actually pablo and he's a descendant this line made a lot more sense but he said uh you know i think barbara is also spanish and and paul doesn't speak any spanish and yet he says you know this is mother espana my mother country, uh, my mom's from Spain, but she didn't let me speak Spanish and she never let me come near. It's like his mom was like hiding this whole lineage from him, which was really mm. fascinating. And of course made sense because he's actually invoking. I, I think that says a lot too about, um, I guess, becoming westernized. It's not even invoking. He's a uh, part sea monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie uses the Ambokans, but it combines them with literal sea monsters. And I mean, you, you can kind of interpret it as like the foreigners are monsters. Right. And his mom isn't even Ambokan because they said that somebody, yeah. I forget who it is now, would bring Kamaro. women over to the island. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that definitely is was Lovecraft's point in the original. How much of that is really in this movie? I, I think it's definitely been diluted a lot. I, I don't think the themes of xenophobia are nearly as strong as they were in the source material. Mm. I haven't read the source material, so I can't compare it to that. But reading this, I, I mean, I knew that Lovecraft was a racist. Uh, but I didn't know how much of that was in this story, and I very quickly picked up on it. So An insane amount. There's a lot of snobbery towards inbreeding immigrants. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much also trigger, but there's so much rape in this film, and essentially it kind of feels like <laughs> Lovecraft is like, uh, yeah, uh, if you're of another race, whatever race he's talking about here, who the fuck knows, uh, you're just going to rape our women and impregnate them and like uh, try to spread your... yeah impurities across the land this is lovecraft this is not me um that felt very much in this story i think it <laughs> really really is uh the the original of course is not spanish there it is set in new england but i think it's all still holds true that he goes to a strange land um yeah. and again they come from the deep so they are literally aliens oh yeah and this is just stuff that lovecraft what was known for in his life that he would talk about basically the he thought that the white man was the only important thing that he he was very he was very xenophobic yeah yeah so moving on from that point there there's this idea of a premonition that our main character is hurtling towards this destiny no matter what he tries despite his mother's efforts to bar him from speaking spanish and returning to the motherland he's drawn to this inner force which is part of this whole like cosmic idea that humanity's lifespan is very impermanent our time is limited and it's coming to a close there are forces at work that are beyond our control yeah I think that's really interesting because what Yushia says um when she's trying to convince paul to come over she's like I think she basically says that she's like humanity is done. And the only way that you can live forever um, is by joining me in the gods essentially. And then when he, when he eventually realizes that that is his fate, he goes, there are no possibilities, which the character of Paul, I really do love. I don't think they, they did it well enough, but I think they implanted it enough where like mm -hmm. one of the first things in that scene that I had mentioned earlier, where they're uh, he and Barbara and, in the boat and he's on the computer she goes you can't program life and he goes yeah you essentially can it's just a bunch of ones and zeros and throughout the film we see him constantly debating is this a one or is this a zero what are the two possibilities mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. this choice or this choice and eventually he's like oh there are no possibilities and eventually accepts that your fate is is predetermined i'm pretty sure that's that's what he comes to the conclusion to and that life is already programmed that makes sense i appreciate a nerd protagonist just saying. So nerdy. <laughs> I know. I really appreciate his nerddom. I mean, this is all connected because uh, I, 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 Lovecraft himself fell into this philosophy of humanity is doomed and we are impermanent and we're not actually that important. And I think that that largely connects to his intelligence, so to speak. I mean, he's not that intelligent about how he thinks about people who aren't white, but intelligence in terms of like bookedness <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's worth saying before you continue that a lot of his racism kind of changed more into a type of like classism later on in his life so he was also prejudiced he mellowed against out just, a little bit uh he, later he on was, i think it was really because of the great depression actually that um yeah. early on he was very highly highly conservative and like almost trickle down theory he voted for herbert hoover 
And then in the 30s, he, like, completely changed his mind, and he said, oh, this is not working. Uh, and he actually became a democratic socialist. <laughs> oh, my God. He became a Bernie fan. <laughs> he, be- he became mm. a Bernie bro. <laughs> All right, Lovecraft is a Bernie bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've heard in other more uh, sympathetic fans of his say that you know if he had been alive today, he was smart enough to probably not be in line with that tune, and a lot of it was of the time. Now you know you got to still be critical of this of it, and they are great stories, but you have to be critical of these really antiquated uh, racial ideas. I mean, that's the thing is like you can say it's of the time as much as you want. And like, yeah, there's definitely an influence there, but he was basically preaching this stuff. Like there are religions based in these theories that he's created. And it's in, like we were saying, it's in all of his work. I mean, it's so strong. Mm-hmm. This story is so strongly racist that I I can't it, forgive so much. Well, I think it is. you can very heavily read the old ones sort of, I, I mean, it's this imper- idea of impermanence and humanity is worthless. Yes, but it is also a fear of the other. Well, yeah, but yeah. I mean, you could argue that all horror is actually fear of others, and there's right. a lot of good arguments for that. That you you other what you're afraid of, and one one of the great things about horror is that by turning it into something else, you can relate to it in a separate way, and like the morphology of that turns yourself into an other in comparison to these other others, which is strange. Mm. But like, and as and as racially motivated as a lot of these ideas were. Ultimately, his theories were nihilistic, so he didn't hold any of humanity in, in high regard. So even even his classist ideas were of little value in comparison to all these other things. So it, it is an odd theory. Sticking with that for a moment, the ending of this, because you mentioned that it was changed. Do you see it as honoring the original Lovecraft story or Lovecraft's philosophies by Paul basically accepting his fate and going into the den of Dagon? Mm. Well, it's... There's a lot more internal turmoil at the end of the story because it's a lot more psychological. It's all in his head. It's first person written. Like he had left the town and then he's uh, he's going to go back because he feels the draw and there's, he can't help himself. In this one, it, everything's dialed up to 10, which I kind of like. Those are the kind of adaptations I, I appreciate, the ones that change it significantly. I don't want a straight book right. to film adaptation, especially for something that is this internal. Because you can't portray that on film without a heavy narration, which is never scary. David, what did you think about the ending? It was a little abrupt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie really heavily plays into body horror, and it kind of feels like it's terrifying because he he essentially learns he's not white. That's essentially what it means. He finds out that he's not really white. <laughs> And it's a horrifying revelation to learn about this impure, in the eyes of the story, uh, DNA within him. Right, and then he burns his physical self. Yeah, he burns himself after he learns the truth, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, but then he accepts the truth and he's cool with it. Right. So he actually, That's he's true. like, he totally converts. And then he goes to have an incestual relationship with his sister. Yes. What the hell, man? <laughs> why, why, why do all these movies have... Okay, Rob, every movie you choose has incest. Well, I don't have a sister, so you can't point your finger at me. <laughs> but you have a brother. Well, you know, you can be incestuous. That doesn't mean you flip the other way. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, Lovecraft didn't have any siblings, did he? I, I have no idea. The sister you thing know. wasn't in the story, though, anyway, because uh, she is an original character for the movie. Yeah, that's your that's your uh, From Beyond Reanimator guy's doing. He, he's just into that stuff. 
<laughs> Stuart Gordon does seem to be very into the uh, tearing the woman's clothes off and and uh, assaulting her stuff. <laughs> mm. That that does seem to be a recurrent thing in all of his movies. Speaking of tearing women's clothes off and assaulting them, I think it's a good time to talk about our next film. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good segue. It is. And uh, speaking about our next film is Devin Shepard. Plane touches down at the airport as military and reporters await a famed scientist returning from a nuclear accident. The plane stands silent, no pilot in the cockpit. And then... A horde of deformed zombies rush out and attack everyone. A giant battle ensues as a TV reporter, Dean Miller, watches the beginning of the end of the world. Dean returns to the news station, knowing he must tell the public what is to come. But before he can announce the outbreak on air, a general cuts him off. The people must not know. They will panic and cause an uncontrollable crisis. It's safer this way. Also, it will protect the government by the public not knowing about their atomic mistake. There is one person Dean can save, however, and that is his wife, Anna, a doctor at the local hospital. He rushes to the hospital, but the horde of what we'll call zombies are already there, and their numbers are growing fast. The rest of the film is a survival story, as Dean and Anna look to escape. Ultimately, they are picked up by a military helicopter, from which Anna falls to her death. Then Dean wakes up. It was all just a terrible nightmare. No zombies, Anna peacefully asleep next to him. Weird. Oh well. He excitedly gets up and rushes out the door. He has a big interview with an atomic scientist, and he has to go meet him at the airport. This is Nightmare City, or City of the Walking Dead, directed by Umberto Lenzi. So Umberto would highly disagree with you, and he'd say they're infected people. They're not zombies. They're infected people. And I know, but I said let's just call them zombies for the sake of it. I know, but yeah, he like, hated it. Does it really it. make a difference? <laughs> yeah, they're vampires, pretty much. They're atomic vampires. But you could argue they're basically, it's it's the same device as a, as a zombie movie, and they could be the first running zombies. What's the difference between zombies and vampires, though, in the more abstract sense? Well, uh, zombies are usually more mindless, and they eat flesh rather nope. than just drink blood. <laughs> they eat brains, too, some of them. But what do, what do you think? Uh, well, vampires used to be more mindless before uh, Dracula and before Camilla. Mm. Um, so actually, our modern idea of zombies is very close to what vampires used to be. It's actually mm. closer to vampires than zombies. <laughs> But the infected people in this movie are not at all s slow in terms of, like, of the mental capacity or their physical capacity. They are very much smart beings. In fact, they're called superhumans by one of the general's advisors. He goes, they're basically a superman, but they're even better, although they have to drink blood to keep going. The only way to kill them is to shoot them in the head, just like zombies. Just like zombies. Yep, but they also, and they survive during the day, so that detracts them from being vampires. They do suck blood, and they're also radioactive, which, like, no one seems to really discuss. Like, they, they bring one of these dead things into a room, like, no, that thing's radioactive. You, you all have cancer now. Oh, yeah, huh? <laughs> That's true. Right, and because they're not technically zombies, too, because then they weren't dead and then came back alive. They are just infected, yeah. which a lot of modern zombies well, now are infectious and not necessarily dead come back to life. But a lot of the time you have to die, and then the virus reanimates your body. That's what happened Correct. in, like, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Right. But remember, in the movie, 
Dr. Miller. It is Dr. Miller, right? His wife? Yeah. Because yes. I, I thought she was like a nurse's practitioner. I didn't realize she was a doctor. It's very confusing. Yeah, I thought she was a nurse. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, she's probably a doctor because they live in a really nice house and he's just a reporter. So there you go. But he's a TV. They call her doctor, but she acts like she's not a doctor. I mean, I don't know. However you read it. But she thinks that they might be vampires and goes to a church to find out. And it does not work. Because the priest is infected. Which is like so weird because she's like talking about science and whatnot and she's preaching atheism. And it's just like, oh, well, they're vampires. So maybe it will be okay if we just go into this church. Like, what? That's the most Her out character, of character is so <laughs> dumb. It's just, uh, like, I hate yeah, how they wrote how her so much. How is she a doctor when she's so dumb? Dude, dude, <laughs> are, are any of the character decisions in this movie not baffling? None okay, of them make any sense at all. None. She's like, oh my God, I forgot to, to lock the cellar. Like, just lock the basement door then. Like, don't go down there. You fucked up. The movie is very schlocky. I even, in researching for this episode, I saw others referring to it as an exploitation film. And I'm curious if you guys agree with that or not. I'm not taking a stance. <laughs> exploitation of what? They just called it an Italian exploitation film. Like, literally, the genre of exploitation. But I don't think it really has enough of anything to talk about, really. It's kind of just like a fun, gory romp of a movie. And they like try to talk about like the problems with science, like atomic science, and nuclear science. And they kind of talk about the problems with the military and the government silencing the public and like keeping secrets from them. But like, not really. Yeah. I mean, the play Devil's Advocate isn't that what an exploitation film is. Yeah. I mean, I actually think it pretty much is an exploitation film. It's really about a bunch of guys in ugly makeup ripping girls' clothes off and sucking their blood from their boobs, which they do a lot of in this movie. They, they yeah. like to suck their blood from their boobs, which is a very vampire-esque type thing to do. Is to it's like very sexualized. Them. Yeah, is to bite them in yeah. a sexualized area. That's very vampire-esque, but they're really disgusting like zombies. I don't think there's a super deep meaning. I think we're going to rip one from here. But the movie's holding it close. We got to really tear it apart and take <laughs> take the meaning out of this. We got to we got to force one. And uh, the writers tried to force one when they're driving, and Doctor Miller is tailing her husband, who has no personality whatsoever. That uh, except he's a reporter who's good at stuff, and apparently he can throw exploding TVs, which, by the way, is the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> That is my favorite part of the whole what movie. What she tell him in the car? <laughs> she tells him that humanity is in this cycle of aggression and eventually we're going to wipe ourselves out. And now's the time, you know, which is kind of similar to the last movie of like how humanity's time here is very limited. We're eventually going to extinct our own selves, except in this time it's due to ourselves rather than outside forces. Yeah. Maybe I don't understand what an exploitation film is. Sorry. I just want to go back like five steps <laughs> okay uh so to me exploitation movies are, are more about just extreme content rather than any like storytelling mechanics or deeper meaning or thematics so, it, so it's, it's just usually, to get like a shock out of people not, not exactly shock horror they're usually just like lower budget with like a lot of either like blood or, or, or boobs or cussing or something like that just just kind of like a low yeah. brow type of film I think they're usually indicative of like this time period also is like the late 70s to the 80s kind of. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, exploitation in the abstract sense is like you are 
taking advantage of something in the case of exploitation films they are taking advantage of our more base impulses to just give a little rush that you it's more about indulging yourself than Mm -hmm. than any like substance i see so then yeah based on everything that you're saying then about you know what they were talking about in the car i do think they were really trying to say something yeah yeah that's that's why it's like initially david brought this point up like is it exploitation i'm like no of course not and then i started really thinking about it and i was watching the movie again i've seen this movie like four or five times now by the way and i'm like yeah, it's kind of hard to argue against. There's like one score. <laughs> There's like one music track they just play over and over again throughout the whole movie, which by which the way is such, great. And that's such a trope of exploitation films too. Yeah, and it's such a good music track. And I always remembered it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's it's why an awesome I remember music it. Because it's literally the only track in the movie. There's like two tracks in the movie that they just play over and over and over again. And it's so fucking good. But it's like, wow, they have like one track and there's just tons of tits and just guys murdering people the whole time. Like, that's it. There will just be some, like, dubbed-over dialogue, which is really funny, by the way. I I find the reactions people have in this movie so hilarious. Oh, my God. Can we talk about the dubbing for a second? Because, so we, we all watched the, like, free version that's out there that is dubbed, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning, some of the voiceover actors were, like, doing these weird accents and, like, making very weird character choices. <laughs> Did you notice this? Yes. One of them had a Brooklyn accent for some reason. And like <laughs> so weird. Some of them are British. It's it's very random. I think this is actually the first time I've seen a dubbed live action movie. I've seen like animation mm. that's been dubbed because it's not as big of a deal in that if the actors are good. Uh, That's not true. You've watched Zombie with me. I'm pretty sure that's dubbed. Was that not subbed when we watched it? No, no. In fact, oh, okay. it's it's most of these Italian horror movies you can't really find subbed. Almost all of yeah, them are Yeah, I tried dubbed. to yeah. find the subbed and I couldn't find it subbed. Uh, I, I found like one fishy, illegal, I'm, I'm afraid to watch this <laughs> subbed take. Mm. Mm. It's really interesting too because it's not like it's fully translated. The, the dubbed versions, they take a version of what they're saying and try to match it mm-hmm. with their mouth movements. So it's not even like a full translation, which I'm so curious mm. about, too, because it's like, well, we could have also, if we're talking about exploitation, like maybe we lost a bunch of the themes too watching the dubbed version. Like maybe they say a lot more in Italian. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, it's possible, but a lot of the actors aren't even speaking Italian in the movie. If you watch it, the words link up with their voices. And I think... What? I think That's a so lot of weird. these, okay, so a lot of this I've heard and they talk about it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest movie. It's at this time period when they were doing Italian films, often they just have every actor just speak their native language and they just dub the whole thing. So you actually can't really find a movie that's not dubbed. And I've seen, this might be the fourth version of this movie I've seen and they're, it's always been dubbed and it's always been hilarious. That's so interesting. Like all these zombies are like, a hundred zombies run out of this plane. It is an insane scene. They literally put makeup on a hundred people in like two hours and did this scene. It's a phenomenal scene. It looks pretty shoddy, but it's great. <laughs> and our main character, Miller, is just watching and he goes, dear God, maybe we should leave or something. It's like his reaction. He, is he, there's like, like no reaction. <laughs> and then immediately after, you're like, God, can the acting get any worse? They're in like the dance studio for a music hour or whatever. And this guy 
he just like looks over and sees a dead dancer with no facial reaction at all and then he looks over at a thing and it kills him with no facial reaction whatever this guy's amazing it's just, yeah no <laughs> yeah. one reacted also can we take that dance from the jazzer size class or whatever that was and just make that the new tiktok craze let's just do it <laughs> It feels very much like the filmmakers are going through this with the idea of just putting something out there fast and cheap and who cares what it is, just let it be stupid, don't think about it, don't think about the themes or whatever, just throw it out there and this is not something that anyone will ever analyze, it's analysis proof. But on this podcast, we analyze it anyway. So, <laughs> See, so, so actually, I, I disagree with you. I really think Umberto Lenzi was tr- doing something very ambitious here. I just think he didn't have the budget or the time to do it. Mm. And I, I would love to see this movie remade with a big it's budget a remake. and good acting. Is it really? It's getting a remake. It's probably supposedly. I hope well, it's the Tom people Savini's who... supposed to direct it. Oh, that's cool. Ooh. I would, I would like the guys who did the latest Wrong Turn to do it because those guys are awesome. Mm. Whoever did that. Oh. So, what do you think Umberto Lindsay is trying to say? Is it just what she says in the car? I, I think that's more or less the uh, the theme. I also think there's a heavy theme of censorship. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think really? it's about hmm. this insidious like government practices that they're keeping from us. And that they actually just view us all as like sheep and like part of the herd. And as you see these toxic zombies, they're like, they're really like mad consumerists, right? They have to run around, just consume, consume, consume. And the instant they stop, they die. Like as soon as they stop drinking blood, they die within an hour or something. That's why at one point they find one like dead on the ground. They're like, oh shit. Right. Which shows that eventually they will all die out when there's no more humans to drink blood from, then they will no longer exist. Hmm. Yeah, unless they just kill everybody. Like, if you don't stop the spread, it could just, like, off all humanity. It's very similar to 28 Days Later, how they starve if they don't infect everyone. In fact, 28 Days Later is more or less a remake of this movie. Yeah, kind of. Um, So the idea of this, the the idea is that nuclear testing is what created them, right? Because they're irradiated? Yes. Yes. Cool. So that's, like... She has this whole speech about how it's not science or technology that causes, but it is man. I guess guns don't kill people, keep people kill people. Mm-hmm. It almost reminds me of the thing from another world to some extent, that, but it's less distrust of science and more distrust of the people wielding it. So I guess that also ties into our mad scientists. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, except this one is, uh, I, I think it's a lot more nihilistic. It's similar to Lovecraft in mm. that, that it, it really, it, it views the human condition as limited. Like, like we're self-destructive and our time is ticking, you know, the, our end game is on the horizon. There's a premonition of our demise in the future, which happens in this movie because he foresees it all before it happens. In fact, three different characters foresee it before it happened. We have the soccer yeah. player who's in bed who foresees his leg getting chopped off, which actually didn't happen. I wish they showed right. that. And then oh, they yeah. have the sculptor who, what's her name again? Sheila. Sheila, right. The who least gets... Italian name ever. Yeah, I agree with you that it's nihilistic. Uh... I even think it, it it almost relishes a bit in its nihilism, and I guess mm-hmm. that also ties into the exploitation. Part of that might just be the uh, strange performances, like when Anna is giving this whole monologue, which, by the way, they pronounce her name differently every time they say it. Sometimes it's Anna, sometimes it's Anna, sometimes it's Donna. Um, oh, yeah. I swear they called her Donna one time, right? Yeah. No, they yeah. definitely did. Anyway, Anna, Anna, Donna, when she's having this monologue, she like almost seems really happy about it. She's like, ha <laughs> This is man that caused this. She's like in your face about it. 
and that might just be a weakness in the performance but i i feel like that does read into the theme a bit because then it is sort of like a gloating that like oh we know what's up with you guys you're all stupid and gonna kill yourselves ha 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 (laughs) right and but dean kind of also gives that impression like in the beginning when he's like i'm for the justice i'm a journalist like i'm gonna save you by telling everybody about this terrible thing Mm -hmm. like he seems so self-righteous and it's really annoying he is can you guys talk about because you mentioned this but i didn't like didn't think about it at all you mentioned that you read this as being uh largely about censorship can you get into that it's it's right on the nose i mean uh dean Dean, dean's a reporter and or journalist whatever you want to call him uh and uh he finds this thing and he wants to report it and he's the hero but the evil government who caused the whole process shuts it down so you don't tell anyone and everyone gets killed because of it right and they keep saying throughout the film no we can't let the public know we can't let the public know uh, it'll cause a crisis. Mm. And even the general <laughs> at the end, like, realizes that he's like, all right, they don't want us to do anything. But at the end, we're going to have to do something. Like, we're just right. going to wait until we end up doing something. And I think it ties into the ending, too, because the ending is ugh, uh, very, very rough. But so Dean wakes up. He has his dream. We realize that the whole end of the world was a premonition. Uh-huh. And he goes to the airport to basically go back to the beginning of the movie and interview the scientist. But he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't say anything about it. Well, we don't know if he does because the movie cuts. But he doesn't. He doesn't do anything about it, like within the film. And it, like we get up to the point where they're about to come out of mm-hmm. the yeah. the plane. So up to that point, he doesn't. He hasn't said anything. And it's interesting if we're talking about censorship and how, like I said in the beginning, he very much wanted to tell the public, and he was very righteous about it. And the entire time, he learned that like this is not the right thing to do to keep it from them. Yet he still keeps it from them. I end. wanted him to steal a gun from the cops and shoot down the guys coming out of the plane and then get arrested while no one believes him that he had to do it. That's yeah, what that, I wanted to happen. That would yes. have been awesome if he shot all 100 that came out of the plane before they yeah. stopped it. <laughs> yeah. And that's all the, the cops just like try and fire at him and just miss. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But De- Devin, I, I think you're totally on to something. I think this speaks to the nihilism of the film and, and kind of the nihilism of Lovecraft is that even though he knew... There was nothing he could do about it. Because if he went on the air and tried to do it, they would just shut him down again. The ending is inevitable. In that sense, though, with this ending scene, it seems to be commenting on censorship throughout the movie. But then in the end, it doesn't really matter. There's nothing they could do about it anyway. It's almost about the press not really being useful. Yeah, it, it, t- it speaks to the futility of humankind as a whole, right? And there's, yeah. a few, there's a few inklings that maybe if we listen to women more, we'd be better off. Kind of, but then they kill off the female characters too very easily for them being stupid, which bridges the gap of like it's not really mankind; it's it's mankind as a whole, mankind, womankind together. Because even uh, is it Sheila when she's talking to the colonel, major, the major, major, sorry, the major on the phone, she's like, oh, just like a bale shoving his pig, blah blah blah. And he's like, listen, babes, listen, toots, just do what I said, okay, blah blah blah. And then she fucks it up. All the guys in this movie, Dean and the major, just tell other women, listen to me. Don't ask any questions. Do what I say. I'm not going to give you all the information. The amount of times that Dean did it to Anna, Anna, Donna, was starting to get so annoying. He's like, shut up. Do what I say. Listen to me. (laughs) And she's like, I'm so helpless. I don't know. I'm a doctor. (laughs) I know. It's funny because she's actually pretty useful whenever she does something, except at the end. Yeah, I don't think so. I, th- I think the mo- women in this movie are pretty weak overall. 
she like seems to have a lot of philosophical ideas and whatnot, but then whenever something goes down, Anna Anadana is completely worthless and just cries for her man to come save her, and then she's upset, so he slaps her across the face. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> he gaslights her, too. She's yeah. like, oh, I think I hear something. There's somebody out there. And then there is. He's just, he had hung himself. And he goes, no, no one's there. Yeah. Well, he doesn't want to assure the dead person what? for some reason. You're going to flat out lie to her? <laughs> yeah. Also, she, she's seen so much worse at this point. It's not really going to. Mm. Oh, no, you can't see this one, honey. I'm sorry. She's a doctor. She's seen dead bodies before. Right? What? <laughs> she's seen more dead bodies than he has. She literally goes to the morgue in the movie. But she does one really cool thing that I think was a nice touch. At the end, when they're running up to up to the roller coaster, and he picks up a gun to shoot it, she grabs a gun, too. She ends oh. up handing, handing it to him to shoot zombies rather than doing it herself. But given, but given, considering he's a better shot than all the military guys in the entire movie, except for the major, I'm like, maybe, maybe, that was a good idea. Do you guys have think that Dagon also has a women problem as well? Uh, not nearly as much. Uh, yeah. I actually really don't see it very often. Does, doesn't he kind of just let his girlfriend go off on her own to like take care of stuff? And she's relatively independent. In fact, the only reason yeah. why he survives and she doesn't is because he's meant to survive through his heritage. It's not necessarily through his own accord. I think she's relatively industrious in that. Am I wrong? No, I, I would agree with that. And I think the only way that I see issues in Dagon it's just, uh, Paul's just a weak character in general, so I think yeah. I see him more as a weak character that could bleed into his relationships with women, but that's a that's his symptom. I think the women in that one are, like Rob said, pretty independent. I mean, it's it's weird because I feel like in the during the storm, Barbara is a lot more incompetent that they, they survived the storm basically because Barbara saves their ass. Right. Uh, and then it's time to send someone back to the boat to check on their friends and find out if they're still alive or not. And Barbara's like, well, I should obviously go because I'm more competent. And Paul's like, no, you should stay here. I'll do it because I'm a man. It's like, no, she should go because she's more competent. No, 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 no. I, I totally agree with you. You, you. you do not send your girlfriend on a boat with those dudes. That is not something you do. Those creepy looking guys, you're like, no, no, no. She's not getting on a boat with them. Do you feel like he feels threatened by her at that point that she's like proved herself to be <laughs> more competent than him? And he's like, oh, shit, I got to I got to like do something. That is definitely true. And he's also basically the opposite of Dean, who's like super competent and good at everything. This yeah. other guy just kind of sucks at everything and just barely survives. And at the end, he even fucks it up and lights himself on fire and can't even get that right. And then, but he turns into a merman. I think that's cool. He turns into a merman at the end. I'm totally about the merman. I guess he's much yeah. less successful than, uh, than, than Maud was. <laughs> yes, he was. Actually, a lot more successful. That's because he picked the right god. She was going with the fake one. He was going with the real one. His god was actually looking out for him. Hers was not. Yeah. So um, what do you guys think of the acting? I mean, we did talk about it with Nightmare City, but Dagon, I've heard people say the acting's pretty bad. And I wouldn't say it's bad. I think it's B-list for sure, but I think it's passable. And I think it's enough for me to be enthralled in the story. And there were no characters that were so bad I was taken out. Yeah, now I think you're just attacking Francisco Rabal, who is in both movies. That is true. Ezekiel <laughs> is in both movies. He's the major in Nightmare City, and he has, like, the best squib shot when he shoots his wife in the face. But, like, Nightmare City, I, I really like the bad acting. Uh, it's so awful, and it's so funny. 
I just crack up whenever I watch this movie. With Nightmare City especially, it's really hard to talk about without referencing all of the uh, shoddy elements because I, I think that it really does play into your read of it, that it's it's harder to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Dagon, some of the acting's not very good, particularly from the guy who plays Paul, but I feel like that's more just some some of them not being that good rather than like something that... I, is intentional or feeds into the movie in any way. I don't think it's intentional in Nightmare City. I, th- I, don't, I don't know if the original acting was bad in Nightmare City, though, because it's a dub. I think it's it's probably bad. Probably. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I, I agree with you, David. I don't think it was the intention to have terrible acting in Dagon. And I think for the most part, Rob, I agree that like it's passable. It's, I'm not as much bothered by it, except for Paul. Paul is not good, and I think it ruins the horror for me, because at no mm. point... Is he scared? I never see fear across his face. It makes me not at all afraid of these fish people. And I kind of lose all of the horror for me because he can't perform that way. He's a little bit insufferable. He reminds me, I actually like him, but he reminds me a lot of Bruce Campbell in the first Evil Dead. But I feel without like he's a the very charm. similar character. Yeah, but Bruce Campbell in the first <laughs> yeah. Evil Dead has very little charm. He gets it all by the second one. His acting abilities are so much less. It's but he's like... at least scared of the demons. So also, uh, what, do you, what do you guys think of these movies that have like no setup? Do you like that no setup? Yeah, I think what you're really tapping into here is this sort of schlocky vibe that both of them have. That, I mean, Dagon... It, I think it was a theatrical release, but it feels like it was made for TV. Totally, right? Yeah. Uh, And it does make it interesting when you talk about analytically, because it makes it harder to take seriously, but I don't think we can discount what they're saying. I think it, it just sort of makes the themes and their intentions kind of muddied and strange and not that well thought out. That's why we're finding, like, all of this misogyny in some of the movies, why there's like some xenophobia that's not well thought out. I mean, I don't think Nightmare City is xenophobic because it doesn't comment on that at all. But <laughs> Well, you could look at it through the xenophobic lens. I think it's a way more of a stretch in Nightmare City, but it is basically about a bunch of foreigners landing in your country who are not supposed to be there. They're running around. They're more or less raping all the women. They're ripping are their clothes foreigners? off and sucking their blood. No. They're from a foreign place and they're not human. They're like okay. subhumans, so I'm going to call them foreigners. But they are humans. They show up. They rip everyone apart. Well, they're well, they're atomic humans. They're mutants, and they're they're interbreeding with everyone and ruining society. Mm. It, it's it's a very similar plotline. Well, no one's alive long enough for it to be interbreeding. Well, well, when they bite you, you turn into one. Oh, is that what happens? Yeah, they do explain that. Well, when they're talking to the general, they can reproduce that way. What I think would be cool is just being around them if they were radioactive, if it like got you infected. I thought that would be cool. Like radioactive zombies. Since that's, that's how radioactivity cool. actually works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of um, this, they're sort of like vampire mutants. I mean, Night of the Living Dead was also caused by radiation, but that one, you know, not as much was known about radiation. So it's more just a 50s trope. Yeah, but Night of the Living Dead, it's a very certain kind of alien radiation. It's not just radiation in general. So I think I think it doesn't need to be explained as well. It also I, both these movies I think very comfortably fit into the strange realm of action horror films, which are are very hard to pull off. And most people don't like action horror, and we get this a lot with video games that Devin's going to know about. Is like survival horror games that become action horror games, and pe- the fans get upset about that. Yeah. But action horror movies, there aren't that many of them, and they're they're kind of weird. You got like Aliens and 
the Resident Evil franchise, and most of them are pretty bad. And Dawn people get upset Dead. that they're not scary. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead, the remake. But I think the genre itself doesn't need to be as scary. I think it's more about fun, schlocky, bloody, etc. Yeah, I totally agree. It does. It doesn't need to be scary. Of course, it can be scarier. And I think Dagon does a pretty good job of the balance between action and horror by adding in a lot of a lot of these themes. And I think that mainly comes from the source material, where I feel like Nightmare City is lacking in the in the themes and therefore lacking in the horror. And then it just feels like an action flick. I mean, as we talk about more, I feel like there are actual themes in Nightmare City. They're just not well developed or well thought out, like the stuff we were talking about with censorship but then the ending seems to oppose that idea entirely like the the censorship themes contradict the ideas of humanity is doomed anyway not exactly because we could say that if there wasn't censorship there would be a way to prevent this but because of our censorship censorship we're doomed mm, i see okay. so you can still be hypercritical of censorship it's just that censorship is so powerful that there's no way around it unless we get rid of censorship altogether to connect this to modern day and our times would you uh relate this with covid at all would you call it prophetic of uh how how trump handled covid to to point mm. fingers I, I don't really see the relation i mean there's no one running around like saying to hug the zombies like they do in like dead next door which i am gonna make you guys watch at some point where there's like the the pro zombie crowd i mean they kind of are though like the the entire idea of not shutting down of continuing to to communicate and i don't know i feel like i feel like i see a connection between this and covid i thought that was where you were going with it when you suggested this actually <laughs> that it's a uh, oh. the whole infection thing oh um, interesting. and then the the government is shutting down information about it not letting uh people be aware and people don't want to be aware well i don't think it the connection is as clear with like American politics, but maybe mm. with like uh, foreign countries like China, for instance, there's like draconian measures and they're like locking down information. Their censorship is like possibly making the situation a lot worse. It's like it's like in like still to this day, we really have no idea how many deaths there were in China due to COVID. Yeah, right. But it's hard to draw the exact parallel because that's about it. That's where it ends. It's just there's infection. The government locks down information because. Like the draconian measures in China is that they're actually blockading stuff. Now, if they're like blockading people in their houses and doing this and that, really trying to sustain the viral infection, then we would have probably a better discussion, a comparison between these two. But I think like everything else in this movie, it kind of flirts with the idea of how the government handled these things. And it does, it does its due diligence enough to at least show that. And I appreciate having the war room aspects of the movie, but it, it doesn't, develop much yeah that makes sense so that being said we're going to go to my favorite part of the show which is the bone review section this is where we review each film through a one through four bone rating system with half bones in between this week we're going to do something a little bit different and each do the first film and then do a round robin for the second film starting us off this week is david b jacobs with dagon so we talked a bit about the problems in this movie that it is kind of racist uh it's pretty racist um and, you know, it's it's also a bit exploitative. I won't go as far as to call it an exploitation film because I think it has is more thematically resonant. That's not as poorly thought out, but it's still a bit exploitation. That said, I fucking love it. <laughs> really? Oh, man. I, I would have thought you hated this movie. 
No, this movie's fucking awesome. It, I, it's fantastic oh. and ridiculous and over the top and insane. And the the body horror effects are awesome. I didn't like it at first. I didn't like it when we were like in the boat and whatnot. But then once like he's in the hotel and first he's in the shittiest hotel ever. And I love <laughs> shitty hotels in movies. Yeah. Shitty hotel yeah. rooms are like my thing. <laughs> Barton Fink, everything by Frank Henenlotter. I love shitty hotel rooms. They're so great. And this is like the grossest hotel room ever. The water is green. It's amazing. Um, and that just keeps going more and more. It just keeps going, never stopping, never slowing down. There's always another freaky thing. And it remains fresh because all of the mutations are like still subtly different. I love this movie. It's fantastic. Um, I'm giving it three bones. Wow. Oh, sick. Wow. <laughs> Devin, what did you think of Dagon? So Dagon, honestly, I liked it. It's not it's not fantastic. It very much felt like a TV movie. And like I was saying with the actor who plays Paul, his acting bothered me so much that it really took me out of any horror. But I loved the production design. I loved the creature design. The sound design was cool. A lot of problems, but, you know, made it through for whatever budget they had. Yeah, problems aside from mm, the racism, the source material was great, and I like how they adapted it. I think it's a strong adaptation from two stories that don't seemingly uh, have many parallels. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to give it two and a half bones. Hmm. Solid ratings. So I, I really don't think this adaptation is racist per se. I think the source material is, but I think if we didn't have that and you watched this movie, you probably wouldn't even think of racism at all. Because there are no other races in the movie. Everyone's just white. That might be a problem in itself. But it, it's in Europe, in a backwards town that hasn't had much uh, influx of outsiders in it. So it, it makes a lot of sense, right? I, I like this movie a lot. I've, I've seen it maybe three or four times now. Uh, the mutations are great, like David said. There are problems. It's just, it's such a guilty pleasure of mine. I'm going to give it three bones also. Nice. <laughs> wow. Um... I don't really believe in guilty pleasures. I, I, I think that if you enjoy it, then you should just own that. You, you don't need to feel guilty about liking it. Oh, yeah. We'll <laughs> wait till we get to the next movie. Uh, yeah. David, what, what do you think of Nightmare City? I, I was so excited to make you guys watch this movie. Thanks. I hated this. <laughs> <laughs> you hated it. Oh. Um, honestly, I think so much of it is the dub. Like, I... I I couldn't get into anything because the dub is so, so bad and it's so jarring and weird and uncomfortable. And I hate that their lips don't match what they're saying and that there's this weird dissonance between the performances and none of it makes any sense. And like, you can't even enjoy it in that sense because the effects are fucking terrible. All of the effects are bad. This is clearly <laughs> not have Tom Savini on board at all. The zombies look stupid. It's just like some plastic shit on their face and the rest of their body is normal and their clothes aren't even ripped or bloody or anything. They look terrible. There are like multiple parts where someone will get their throat slit and there will literally be no blood. It's so stupid and bad and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> this is the David I know and love. One bone. <laughs> One? <laughs> Yeah, I like don't have much to add. I I really struggled with this movie. Sorry, Rob. Uh, it's just not for me. I'm just like I'm not into the just murder, 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 murder without any really like plot. 
going on, I guess. <laughs> um, obviously, the female characters were awful. It had its moments, some really cool deaths, uh, some some cool shots. I really did love the moment when uh, Sheila goes down into the basement and sees her friend get murdered and they rip open her blouse and she's like bent over backwards and they're stabbing her multiple times in the chest. There was something very religious and just beautiful about that shot. I don't know why that one stuck with me, but um, yeah, one bone. It's I just, I didn't, I, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. The dubbing was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah, so as I introduce you guys to more of the Italian horror sphere and Uh-oh. the wonders of awesome Italian horror movie dubbing, uh, you guys will realize why this movie is such a guilty pleasure of mine and why I often listen to that soundtrack, which is pretty much just one song <laughs> over and over again, except for the dance single song. That is a different song. This movie's good. It might have the worst throat slit of all time, but it has some really cool squibs at the end. And when he throws a TV and the TV explodes and lights a zombie on fire, I just die laughing every time. I've seen this movie five times. I own a copy of this movie. <laughs> And I bought one for my grandma before she passed. So, uh, yeah, two and a half bones. This is a really good movie. I love it. And I, I, Rob, I do appreciate you expanding our knowledge of horror. And I love that we all have different tastes. And I think this has been, you know, as we are talking about the 20th episode of this podcast, I think that's been the most exciting thing so far is just expanding our views of horror and the genres of horror and having the listeners join yeah. us all along. Yeah. So hopefully we have some listeners maybe in the future that can introduce us to some like maybe East European films Please. of horror films, which I really, I really have not engaged in that or like mm. maybe some African films. I, I don't know if I've ever watched any African horror films before. So if any of you listening have any ideas or some movies like that, we should watch Thailand, wherever. Please send, send them our way. That's it for today, guys. I urge you all to go home and to watch Nightmare City and Dagon and let us know what your reviews are on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at CadaverDogsPod. Or you can email us at CadaverDogsPodcast at gmail.com and tell me why you think these movies are fantastic and why David and Devin are wrong about Nightmare City. <laughs> Until next time. Hiya, <laughs> hiya, Cthulhu for Tegan.